Can I get an amen? Today I talked to the God Squad. Shout out to Keeping the Faith. Ordained reverends Tom Owen and Richard Lawrence. They met in the stands of a Little League field watching their grandkids play. They enjoyed each other's company and talked about sports, life, and religion for several years. Then they discovered they both participated with Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis, etc. and marched from Selma to Montgomery for voting rights for black people. They came from Chicago and California, heated the call, and helped clean fields, prepare sleep areas for the famous multi-day march. Hear their tales about the march, their view of progress over the last 50 years, and what we can do to keep moving forward and doing God's good work. We mix in some gospel music and spread the word, and my dad talks a little about kale. Anyway, so sit down, strap in, turn on, and turn up this humbling episode of Tony on the Mic. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. We sang a lot. I know one thing we did right was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on, hold on. And reminding us that there is work to be done if we want to have a just society. We need to get on our feet and get to it. Well, I could have been a preacher too. Just so there you, you go. There you go. Go ahead for it. Go for it. We're in good company with you, I'm Tony. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to get on a soapbox. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, can yeah, you hear me? Yeah, we believe you. <laughs> Do some good. All right, yeah. preacher. Hold on, hold on. A quote from Alice Walker, uh, African American author, that says Service is a rent we pay for the privilege of being here on earth. Not just duty or obligation, not just joy or happiness, merry duty and joy, and you'll have a fulfilling and fulfilled life. Good night everybody, we'll hope to see you and I'm going to really give you a nice big bowl of kale when you come on by. I'm not sure that's selling her. Hopefully you can come and learn about kale. And, uh, and and social justice. The only thing that we did right was the day we started to fight. I hope that generationally people hear uh, voices of people like you guys who've been doing this for 50 years. You know, people have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And I don't even want to say not getting tired, but getting tired, but persevering. Getting worn down and keeping going and finding new life and new spark and new energy to keep going. We've met jail and violence too, but God's love will see us through. I'm hopeful. We shall prevail. Justice and joy and love empowered shall prevail. I believe that. I bank my life on it. Keep your eyes on the prize. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence, and I'm Tony on the mic today. I am joined by the religious movement 
I have a <laughs> Reverend Richard Lawrence and Pastor. What do you go by, Tom? Yeah, it's the same pastor. thing. Yeah, okay. Pastor Tom Owentall. Pastor Tom Owentall. That's uh, so a pastor and a reverend and and me. So this ought to be <laughs> interesting. A uh, short story about what brought us all together is uh, I've been coaching Little League and my son, my dad's grandson, is the same age as Tom's grandson. And I coached him in Little League and then in some Pop Warner football. And then actually once he got into high school, he came and helped to coach me. We all kind of hit it off. We're kind of friendly and, and cordial. And I, I would say friend adjacent. We didn't necessarily do anything or socialize together or the outside of the Little League events or youth sports events. And then when the 50th anniversary of Selma came around, uh, we decided to go because my dad was there 50 years ago. And in talking about that, it turned out Tom was there 50 years ago. I mean, or 50 and some change now. now. The, original, yeah. the original cross of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were both there together and, and was we'll get into in a bit. Apparently, they were doing a lot of the same things, which is kind of interesting. A lot of things that people didn't know about. And so when we found out we were both going, we kind of all explored each other a little bit more and found out how remarkable these two guys are and their history and commitment. And we're going to get to know them today. We're going to get to know what uh, what made them answer the call, what they've done before and since, and how it affected them. Let's start just a little background time. You were born in Pasadena, right? Yeah, Pasadena, California, 1941. 1941. Oh, you're a youngster yeah. compared to dad. I know. I'll be 80 in one more month. <laughs> wow. Welcome to the club. Uh, and then you went to Pasadena High School? South Pasadena. South Pasadena yeah. High School, and then Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. That's how'd right. You, how'd you pick that college? Well, my I knew it was a solid college. It's a small college. I wanted a small one to, to be able to play sports. Uh, oh, one sports. that was strong at basketball and baseball. I wanted one that had uh, uh, good academics. Uh, my parents said, you need to grow up. You need to get out of town. They put me on a train with a with a, a trunk and uh, went from California all the way to Pennsylvania. Wow. Ooh. Wow. And what did you play? Did you play baseball and yeah, basketball? Yeah, ba baseball and basketball. And there you could play because we were a lousy team. Uh, we, <laughs> we lost 21 games in a row in basketball. Yikes. But, uh, but you played. I played uh, guard and basketball and uh, in, infielder in baseball. Okay. Now, rumor has it your ironic cheer was kill quakers kill yeah, that's right i mean <laughs> oh <laughs> my god there we go no. yeah consistent right we couldn't win games so, so we had we to have a good a good model a good cheering point and then swathmore <clears throat> college then back to yeah back then to, to san, Fran san francisco theological okay. seminary i came okay. back out west to a presbyterian seminary Okay, Presbyterian. Dad, you're all right that he's a Presbyterian? Dad's a Methodist. We're not going to have any fireworks. Or... No, I'll be easy on him tonight. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to have any. Tomorrow night it'll be different. Yeah. Right, right. Once the mics go off. Uh, actually, guys, I'm going to keep the mics on afterwards so that way we can catch some of the, catch some of the drama, the, the interdenominational drama. Uh, Dad, you were born in 
Andover, Massachusetts? No, actually, Tewksbury, Tewksbury, Massachusetts. How did I not know that? I was my mother's tenth child, and the first child she had in a hospital, and it's in Tewksbury State Hospital. But you were living in Ballardvale, which is a part of Andover, right? Which is just outside of Boston. Folks know Andover for Phillips Academy, in particular, a very well-known prep school. Is that where you went to high school? I did not. Um, <laughs> uh, I was lucky to make my way through public school, much less uh, nitsy witsy college prep place like Phillips Academy. And, and what high school? Was it Punchard High Punchard School? Punchard High then. It's now Andover High School. Okay. Did you have a, a model like Kill Quakers Kill at yours? Actually, that'd be later in college, but... Um, what was your What was your team? The punctured what? Oh, all right. We'll, we'll skip ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, it was a long time. According to a quick internet search, it seems the punctured mascot was the Matadors. The punctured Matadors. The more you know. Then you went to Albion College. Albion College for three years. Oregon State for my junior year because I ran out of money. Albion uh, is in Albion, Michigan, Michigan. Not not far from uh, Flint, Michigan. How'd you and how'd you find that school? I mean, you guys clearly pick schools well. well away the minister at the local Methodist church in Ballardville was from Detroit, and he was the first person that asked me to go to college. Well, he didn't ask me; he told me to go to college. <laughs> And uh, I had never thought of that because uh, being one of a large family, we had all gone out to work after we were finished with high school and helped to support the family until we had a family of our own. Now, there were <clears throat> 15 of you guys total. 15 right? all together, yeah. You were 10. Yeah, I'm number 10. And the first one to be born in a hospital. Yeah. That's, that's progress. My, and, my mother said she needed to be in the hospital because my head was so big. So <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you for inheriting that giant dome. Yeah. Yeah. And my kids want to thank you. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Yes. We've, we're known in, around these parts for our gigantic craniums. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after I'll be in Oregon State... Well, um, Oregon State was my junior year. Okay. Then I went on to the University of Chicago Divinity School in okay. Chicago. And that's where you were accredited? What do they call it when you guys get... Well, uh, in, in, the, in the Methodist Church, you're ordained. Ordained. You're ordained, um, too, aren't you? Yeah, right. Yeah, all right. So you're both ordained. And, and the thing is, the Methodists weren't happy about my going to Chicago because it wasn't a Methodist seminary. Mm-hmm. It was an interdenominational seminary. We had congregations, disciples of Christ, uh, Unitarian, and Baptist. In one faculty taught them, taught us all. Oh wow! And then that led to your first church. My first church was a student appointment at back at Oregon State. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And that's where. What was your first appointment, Tom? Where'd you start? Well, I started in uh, Pasadena, Pasadena, California. I came out, and I was switching from Presbyterianism into Unitarian Universalism at that time. So I was uh, becoming more open-minded. I needed a more progressive church in which to practice. Okay. Yeah. And Methodists were very progressive back then also. 
Well, Methodists walked the line back then. <laughs> Methodists had a reputation of being able to segregate their clergy in a way that made it possible for folks to sort of choose, did you want to be in a white Methodist church or a black Methodist church? Mm -hmm. And it was during the years I, after I'd graduated that they were fighting their way through that, trying to figure out, are you really going to go wholeheartedly into the belief that we are all God's children, or are you going to try and continue to please some folks who think those of us who are black don't deserve to sit in the same pew as white Methodists. Mm -hmm. so. Did you did you notice any racial issues, Tom, when you were <clears throat> coming a young, strapping, idealistic? Not, uh, not really. You know, that's uh, Selma woke me up. Oh, really? Yeah, Selma really woke me up. Uh, you know, I had been a, a relatively uh, entitled white guy. Now, do you think you're just oblivious, or do you think, again, you know, being in, in California? Yeah, I was pretty oblivious. I mean, we yeah. grew up in a, you know, middle-class, white family area, and um, I knew some people of color, but not many. Okay. Not many, and so Selma uh, opened my eyes, opened my heart, opened my soul, uh, wow. in a way, at 22 and a half years of age. Okay, so... Up until then, you you were not active in the civil rights movement or anything. No, really? I, I was not. I and mean, then you I got... was a pious, a bookish student. Uh, I was a grinder academically, uh, and going on to seminary. And I, I woke up when our president said, uh, "We just heard from Martin Luther King Jr. and he wants white guys to go to the South to put your body where the trouble is, not just put your money and your vote." But put your body as a white American where the trouble is. And our president uh, was a white guy, and he said, I'm going. Anybody else want to raise their hand? So that, was that Kennedy? Well, no, that, no, that was the, the president Kennedy. of our seminary. Oh, the president of your president seminary. Of our seminary, okay. yeah. Oh, and he said he was going. Yeah, he was nice. going. And okay. so the, the, How many of you went? About 35. Wow. Yeah, yeah, good. Did you fly, so, drive, bus? How'd uh, you go? Yeah, bus from bus. San Francisco Ooh. to Selma. Yeah, I had never been in the South before. Okay. And uh, I don't know how many on the bus had ever been there either. But we were uh, we were a pretty open-minded seminary, fairly progressive. But this was a major move to get on the bus and put your body where the trouble is. And the, what Lewis would say later on, good, necessary trouble. And trouble. that woke me up. Yeah. And when you got there, were you were you scared? Like as you were approaching, were you nervous? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the bus trip—I'd never been on such a long bus trip to begin with across the country. And we got off, and the first thing it was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, and Andy Young had been saying, you know, we're, we're here to to love the hell out of Alabama. We're here to try to love the hell out of Alabama. And if you don't buy into that, get back in the bus and go back home. But then, plus, there are two other guidelines that we're going to, as Southern Christian Leadership Conference, two guidelines where you're going to have to act nonviolently. That doesn't mean you're going to be passive, because King believed in a, a militant, aggressive nonviolence. Mm -hmm. And uh, But you, if you don't believe in nonviolence, you don't practice it, get back on the bus. And then the second guideline is, we're going to ask you to do some things here, and you've got to do whatever we ask you to do. And in our case, it was very menial tasks. Like, uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't 
we were not foot soldiers. We were field laborers. We we cl cleared the fields of cow dung every day. Yeah. Set up the the tents, prepared the way for the marchers. I wasn't one of the marchers until the final day. Okay. We we were the field laborers, and that was very important because it's always it's a it's a white male. Uh, I have to always remember I'm not in charge in terms of growing. Uh, racial justice in our country. I can be an ally. I can be an accomplice. I'm not the leader. Get in the field, do the work that needs to be done, or get back on the bus. And that's what that's what Andy Young and James Bevel uh, were telling us. And uh, John Lewis, uh, they were all saying, those are the guidelines. And so we stayed in the fields and worked until the final day. How many, what would, in your particular group, not from California, but now, did you only work with the people you went with? Well, or primarily, you... I'm trying to remember, Tony, it, it's hard to remember, 55 years ago, but... I remember uh, it like yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was basically, our 35 guys were in the field. Okay. You know, and there were, I don't remember any women on our bus. In fact, okay. in our seminary in those days, there were two or three women in our seminary, so they... I'm pretty sure it was all men that went, and we were there uh, on the field, our 35 guys, and plus some others probably. But we were we were doing stuff uh, to set up the evenings of entertainment. We're, we're talking about Dick Gregory and uh, and uh, Peter Paul and Mary and, and wow. Seeger. I mean, you, you pay a lot of good money today. No, I'm just kidding. It's pizza. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to, to, you pay good money today to have Heck entertainment yeah. like that, and we. So that was a real benefit, grinding and grueling and in the mud all day, setting up. And in the evening, we're sitting around and listening to Peter, Paul, and Mary and Joan Baez. What? I was going to say, you know. better say Joan Baez. Yes, you better say Joan Baez. Favorite. She's She happens to be my favorite. I'll follow her anywhere. Yes, so. And still, she's... She's still, yeah. yeah. She, right just, she just got a tribute from the Kennedy Center. Yeah. And so she's slowing down. Her voice is um, losing some of the quality that it had. But she's still active in the issues that matter uh, in the world today. Fun fact: she was on the Muppet Show. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. yeah. The show. thing, the thing about people like Seeger, and Seeger's gone now, but he lived into his nineties. People like Joan Baez, and and uh, they were they were they were in it for life. I mean, this wasn't a cause. This wasn't three weeks. This wasn't earning some cash as an entertainer. Uh, this was their mission. And as you you're saying, Richard, not, uh, Joan is still pounding the pavement, still crooning for justice, uh, and that that's the, one of the primary lessons, Tony. That uh, this wasn't, uh, you know, the, it's a, only a week there, and it's a week that's changed my whole life. Nice. Now, you said that you were in the fields cleaning cow dung and setting yeah. up. So logistically, you would get the destination of the goal where they're going to yeah. march. You would go ahead with your bus full of people, clean some areas right. for people to sleep, right. set up some tents or whatever, and then you would also be able to participate in the entertainment that evening and then do it again the next day, each of or however yeah. many months. And now the funny, not ha-ha funny, but ironic funny thing isn't talking with my dad. You did the same thing. Is that right? I did do the same thing, except we 
just insisted that we were going to march with the, everybody the first day over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. The first day or the... Uh, the very first day first of day. the march. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Even though I heard the same instructions that we were to do as we were asked to do, um, we asked in return that we be able to do that. I was with a bunch of students from uh, Chicago Teachers College and uh, Wilson Junior College. Now, what was the makeup racially? Was it a predominantly black group? Or? It, no, it was a mixed racial group, okay. and it was mixed uh, gender-wise. Oh. And uh, we, n none of us had been in the Deep South before. Mm. So we, too, had heard a message. This one delivered by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who were partners with the Freedom Movement. Mm -hmm. They sent a speaker out to our campus. They said just exactly what Tom said, uh, uh, Andy and Martin Luther King had said. We need the presence of white folks in the crowd. Because mm -hmm. if you remember Bloody Sunday when John right. uh, Lewis was beaten down, it was utterly brutal. And the theory at the time was they won't be quite as cruel if there's That's white right. folks yeah. marching with us. So mm -hmm. that that was the nature of the call. Our, our group was interracial, and we were uh, really motivated by the students. It was the students who said to me as the campus minister, we need to go mm -hmm. to Selma. And how old were you? I was about 27, 28 okay. um, at that time. Um, I uh, had never particularly wanted to go to the South. <laughs> I was very uneasy about it. Um, but they weren't, and their leadership really uh, influenced me. So we loaded up in my Volkswagen bus, put some food in there because they'd asked us to bring down canned foods and stuff if we could. We loaded the bottom of the Volkswagen bus with canned foods, put students on a mattress on the canned foods, and off we went. And how many roughly were in your... It, was it just... There was about was eight of the us. Only, there were about eight of us. only vehicle that went, or was there a It was the only vehicle from, from Chicago that State oh, that okay. went. Uh, yeah, Chicago Teachers College. It's now Chicago State University. And what I did not know is that I had overloaded the Volkswagen and I burned out the engine just <laughs> short of getting to Louisville, Kentucky. Mm, yikes. Now, at that point, we were scared to death. As far as we were concerned, Louisville, Kentucky was the South. We didn't know if they were going to fix our car or they were going to fix us. <laughs> so we, with some real trepidations, drove, drove had it to... Uh, carted into a VW place and surprisingly they found a local c company that folks um, had to support that was sending a truck to Selma with canned goods mm. so they took the canned goods out of the truck nice. out of my I mean out of the van and put it in their truck that lightened the load for us we paid somehow I don't know where the money came from um, for the engine. We did have some money that we were going to contribute right. to Selma. We spent some of that. And uh, folks in uh, Louisville proved to be very cordial and decent human beings, which helped 
to lighten the load for us because we knew we were going deeper into the South where that may very well not be the case, probably wouldn't be the case. So you had car trouble in Louisville. Car trouble uh, in Louisville. You got fixed up, your your, uh, faith in humanity restored a little bit. Yeah, uh, your batteries recharge a little bit, and then yep. kept uh, kept going. And I I don't want to go past arriving in in Selma in this in this little preview we're doing right now. So, any other events on the way to Selma that stood out? Any other moments? Any other? N- nothing. Uh, after we got the VW fixed, hit the road again. We just went right on uh, okay. into Selma. Now, uh, you had you said thirty five people on a on a bus. Right? Yeah, okay. right. And now. Boy, this is a kind of a loaded question, but it's like, so on the white bus, Tom, did you guys yeah, sing? Yeah, Dad, on the yeah. black bus, did you guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. But what was what was the spirit like on the on the on the bus? Was you there know, fear? T- was there excitement? Was there a mix? A mix of anxiety, uh, excitement. What the hell are we getting into? Uh, but we had the leaders. We had a co- our president of our seminary. We had uh, the, some faculty members on the bus. This wasn't just students. Uh, and uh, we didn't have to be in charge of anything. We just had to be comrades mm-hmm. and servants. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember. I just remember sort of dark darkness on the bus and not sleeping very well. And <laughs> and and remember, back not only did our our president of the seminary say, "I'm going," anybody else want to go, which also led to a million dollars less income from alumni. Really? They said, okay, it's a, we were a pretty open-minded seminary, pretty progressive in the 60s. But alumni said, you're, you're doing what? Where? Why? When? Uh, I'll cut my money back. We wow. lost over a million bucks. That's a lot of money in, that, that in those t- days. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of money. So it was. there was some courage involved in it. And But it started at the top. Yeah, I think if the president hadn't said, I'm going, the students would, eh. Right. Uh, the two other things led Do you remember me. his uh, name? What's that? Do you remember the guy's name? Yeah, Ted Gill. Okay. He, he came out later as a gay man, uh, which is very unusual in that time as well. Mm, he yeah. came out a year or two after I graduated. He since died. He went back to New York to become a professor. An incredible leader. Two other reasons. You know the, the line, WWJD, what would Jesus right. do? Right. And th- that was true. I mean, where, where, would he show up or not? And my feeling about the Nazarene, the rabbi, was that he would have shown up. He, he would have said, King's telling us to go where we need to go. I'll be there. And the second thing is my mother uh, was an unconditional supporter of, of, of justice. And uh, she said uh, later on, she said, Tommy, you've done some good things in your life, but you're, I've never been prouder of you uh, when you her. showed up in some. I've never been prouder of you. So... My mother's support, the president, uh, you know, willing to lose a million bucks, and and WWJD. You know, th- those were motivators that kept me going on the mission. I, I was, a, like I said, a bookish, pious, greenhorn. I wouldn't have done it on my own. Nice. So you then, your memory of the trip mostly just discomfort and sleeping, not a lot of and and anxiety uh, and anxiety. creative anxiety yeah. but i was you know i wasn't alone i was there was uh, camaraderie we were nice. companions are you still in touch with anybody from that trip uh that's a good question one of my one of the guys he just recently died uh, My, michael taxer who was a became a presbyterian minister out in point loma he just oh, recently died now. but i michael taxer 
he came from a Jewish background and he mixed his uh, mingled his Judaism and his Christianity uh, but not really uh, I haven't uh, been back to reunions um, of the seminary right. I went to the 50th reunion at Selma but not right. to the huh and to have the spirit on your uh, with your passengers how was that well, we'd had a number of kids uh, who grew up black in Chicago. And Chicago was then, and to a certain degree is now, one of the most segregated cities in the country. And about which Dr. King said he had never seen the, the cruelty and anger and wildness among the protesters of marchers for open housing in Chicago mm -hmm. that he saw he had never seen in any place other than Chicago that level of ugliness when it came to racial issues right. so Chicago was a really nasty place that was daily right daily that was Richard J Daly who yeah. was the mayor at that time and I had stories to tell about him but yeah, this we'll is do, not we'll do the another day. podcast yeah, about not. the Richard J Daly stuff <laughs> anyhow um the students were really concerned because the stories at that point uh, Emma Till had been down from Chicago mm -hmm. to the south had died had been killed uh, there were some other students who preceded us who were doing voter registration who had been killed so from the student perspective in particular this was a very very threatening adventure we were going on at the same time there was a total commitment to doing it and we we did sing we we had uh, both folk songs that were related to to uh, civil rights to freedom and the, the like and we had bunches of other folk songs and stuff that we sang no, we didn't sing very many um popular stuff we sang a lot of religious stuff no no rap music no no we, <laughs> nobody kidding. was rapping at the time so we we had to live without it <laughs> Okay, so so good. Thank you. Paint the picture on the way to Selma on the call. Let me uh, take a commercial break here. We have a sponsor. We're going to go to Rick Villapondu. He's done all the work. If you look around this house and see anything new, he did it. He did our front windows and our house and a bunch of stuff. He does any jobs. He does it from the border to Escondido. He does from the desert to the ocean. Rick Villapondu at Alante Construction. Alante. Whoa, construction. Whoa, when you need some work on your home and you want a professional job, you can call on Big Rick because that man is so slick, and then you will enjoy peace of mind. You can leave all confusion and all disillusion behind. If it's a new kitchen or patio, just call on Daddy-O. Alante. Whoa. Construction. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, this is going on for Big Rick. Rick and Lante Construction. San Diego County, top to bottom, left to right. He handles all your needs. No job too big or too small. You want it done and done right? Call Big Rick. And we are back with the God Squad. 
That's what I'm calling. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Time. No, I haven't either. <laughs> uh, now, I, I just I want your official like if I introduce you as pastor, as minister, as reverend, as you know, we on, it's interesting. It's interesting in today's world, Tony. That you're always saying Reverend Kathleen, Reverend Tom, right. Reverend Richard. I we I just was called Tom by parishioners, so but I'm. Reverend or pastor is fine for a okay. title, but I don't go with titles. Okay, well, you're going with one for the yeah. show. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm betting the house on my pair of reverends here. I think, Good. I, I think I got a pretty strong hand. All right, so now you guys have uh, made the journey. And, and now, when you got to Selma, the, the whole mission of this march to Montgomery was, was voter registration, right? Was mm -hmm. it, a, it was an issue to to streamline and remove obstacles or to actually make voting legal? Um, no, the, there was very clearly uh, a voter registration drive that had been coordinated by uh, the citizens of Selma who were trying to register to vote and who were being blocked by the local registrars with uh, ridiculous questions about uh, how many words are there in the Constitution mm -hmm. of the United wow. States? And similar questions that nobody would... Well, <laughs> I, I told them 1,207, but I don't know really what the answer was. But <laughs> well, I'm going to look it up and drop they, it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, now I'm curious. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, well, Dad, good thing they didn't check because you were way off. The Constitution has 4,543 words, including the signatures. It contains 7,590 words if you include the 27 amendments and also just 52 words in the preamble. So lots of uh, wiggle room to disqualify people if they didn't have each specific answer. In the Constitution. In the Constitution. Including the preamble? Oh, they didn't say that. So that was probably a trick. Right. If you didn't include right. the preamble, then you, you were wrong. If you did, did include the right. preamble, right. you were wrong. There was no way to be right in any case. So um, people were turned away from the registrar to vote again and again and again. And they marched m months and months ahead of the marches that we know about. And most of them were school children. They were kids and some college kids, and then supported by their adults, the parents. But it wasn't until national attention was brought, and it was the violence that was uh, really laid on John Lewis's head that really helped enormously to get national attention to uh, a fuller picture of the true kind of ugly resistance there was in the South to voter registration. I should know I should know more about this and I did know, but you know, your brain's like a computer, it only has so much memory and so much RAM. Yeah. So something's in, something's out. But I remember the, the in Alabama with the fire hoses and the dogs, mm -hmm. there was a uh, Priest, I think, maybe yeah. killed James Reeb. Reeb, yeah, yes. uh, he was a he was Unitarian, Unitarian yeah. minister. And, and part of the thing that what Richard's referring to is that, uh, the, of course, the tragic irony is 
right now in 2021, we're still oh, dealing with voter suppression. Absolutely. You know, we're still dealing with the same thing that we sort of solved in, in Johnson and then some legislation, but we didn't solve it because white supremacy is the intractable uh, beast in our country. But let me just say that back to, yeah, Lewis and, uh, you know, there was racial violence that, it, but what really when a white guy, when James Reeb is killed, oh boy, that raises the, right, right. the ante, right? right? The attention. Hey, now America, yeah, we're, yeah, we got to pay more attention. So, you know, blacks have been oppressed and beaten and, and hung and lynched and all of that. But when it gets to the real, one of the turning points was yeah. when James Reeb, a white minister, was, was beaten. And the two guys that he, uh, he was with that are friends of mine, uh, Clark Olson and, and Orloff Miller, both of wow. whom have died. Uh, but they were running for their lives as well. But he was killed, a white guy killed that raises the attention of the land yeah i think uh visibility uh, you know when you turn on the turn on the lights and when people are aware that kind of that kind of does it so when when i said earlier that uh, you know they the movement was encouraging white folks to come to uh, the, the south to participate in the long run that's exactly what they were talking about that should anything happen to mm -hmm. a white person yeah. in this effort to register voters suddenly it matters to the yeah, country right you know um, black folks are supposed to die apparently mm -hmm. black folks right. are supposed to be hosed and beaten and that's jailed right. and and uh, def definitely kept from voting in uh, in in the particular county where this was Selma was located, there is a majority black voting aged population. So if they were allowed to vote, to register so they could vote, they would clearly have a majority of voters. And today, the council, the congressman from uh, Selma, is a black woman. Uh, the mayor is a black man, mm -hmm. and it's not surprising that uh, they were fearful of of what voting means. Some of us take it lightly, and we don't think, oh, it matters at all, and we just laugh at something when we say, well, I'm just not going to be bothered with it. Well, for them, this was a life and death matter. They either were going to elect black sheriffs, for instance, so that the oh, yeah. so that the so that the county security was available to them. The protection that whites were getting day in and day out would be available to uh, the black citizens. So, so do you have any uh, white guilt there, Tom, when you're down there? Uh, yeah, white fragility, white guilt. It's it's all a white anxiety. The thing that um, only. And the final day was there, you know, I was being spat upon and cursed, wow. you know, as a white guy, as a in lover yeah. uh, sort of thing. Uh, but I wasn't in, I wasn't really in the throes of, of deep fear for or, or uh, trouble for myself at all that time. Um, Never really? Not, not, not really, not because really. I was, I was doing the field work, setting up everything like that in the last day, and as, as a white guy, a you know, sympathizer, like I said, in the final day, we got it. But we're safe, we're marching in a safe thing. I wasn't out in the, it wasn't like um, 
Reeb and Clark Olson and Orloff Miller, when James Reeb was killed, he was at a local bar downtown, mm -hmm. very available and vulnerable as a white person to the white vigilantes who uh, murdered him. I wasn't in the, that kind of situation, so hmm. there wasn't deep fear for, for me. How do you think he would have uh, handled it if you ventured into that? I don't know. You know, uh, they were braver and bolder uh, than this 22-year-old guy. Um, uh, I would have probably never put myself in some situation like they were, you know, being apart from a larger group. Yeah. Yeah, I just wouldn't have been in that. I, you know, you're not talking about a very brave guy here. You're just talking about... <laughs> no, I, no yeah. hey, don't underestimate, man. I mean, uh -huh. don't get involved. Uh -huh. That takes... Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you, Tom. It, it, you know, there were lots of folks who stood a long way away from Selma, and that you would go, right. th that who all of those who went down to Selma deserve full credit for the courage that they've really discovered in doing so on the one hand and the reality which they were introduced to on the on the other hand and so it the whole situation about desegregation voters rights in this country took on a wholly new tenor because of courage by people like you thank absolutely you. thank you absolutely um did you ever get mad while you're down there pardon did you ever get angry i don't you know, I was a sweetheart generally at that time. I've that's temperamentally that's pretty much who I've been. Uh, you know, I just I was bewildered. I was a little bit fearful, a little anxious, uh, uh, upset, but anger not a not, not any much. high level of anger. Even when you got there was the never any one on one, on Tony. Not any one on one. Uh, it was a safe context. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you got spit on that, didn't? Yeah. Well, yeah. It. it I got more. I've. I've, I've been an, a fiercer person, uh, healthier rage, <laughs> and as I say, anger for impact, not for injury. I've never right. been a violent person. That's not my temperament or conviction, but anger for impact. Yeah. I still I try to be a fiercer person now because of Selma, right. because of Selma, and not just for racial justice, but fiercer to stand up where there's a wrong, mm -hmm. uh, you know, show up, uh, serve where you need to be, uh, and I, I'm bolder as I get older, but uh, not not when I was 22. Okay, Dad, what about you? Did you get mad? Are you scared? What what were as you now? Obviously, what you guys are setting up. It wouldn't be a flashpoint per se, but well, all my life I have tr tried to subdue anger, uh, and it is only really very recently that I've uh, allowed anger to, uh, to to explode in um, confrontation. In those days, I was determined that I would demonstrate the highest level of humanity that I knew, which was to be reasonable and and to be loving and to be supportive to the degree that I could. Um, we did, at one point, as you may know, um, really talk about what would happen if we were attacked by folks who were uh, out as vigilantes looking for anybody who supported voter registration. Um, and that was a r really very painful conversation.
Now, some, tell me about it. Were you told to were you told to fight back? Were you told to never fight back? Were you told to? Troll? Well, this was this was an internal discussion. Right, right. right. We we were told not to fight back. Of course, in the training that we got to to cover ourselves, defend right. our to, I mean, uh, defend our body. But we were running down the road um, back from Selma um, with a busload of uh, folks, and a state trooper lights came up from behind us and we were just as scared was the word I started to say and I I think that probably is the right word of the police as we were of anybody so we had a conversation about if we were stopped and this folks was trying to turn us over to some local vigilantes what were we going to do and we all agreed that we would run in different directions mm-hmm. to the degree that it was possible so that they could capture the fewest possible number of us and that the others would try to get some help and get back. Mm-hmm. Um, we were clear that there was the danger of our being stopped and being k- killed. And at th- these kids were 18, 19 years old. I'm 27. And having to have that conversation mm-hmm. is yeah, just, to yeah, me, yeah. uh it's inexcusable, you know, that that anybody's forced in this country these days working for the right to vote mm-hmm. would face the threat of death. It's just so insane. So what happened when the cop pulled you over? Oh, the cop pulled us over and he said, um, did, did you happen to see a dark blue Chevy uh, coming down the, the street, the road? Is this day uh, or night? And, and this was nighttime, nighttime okay. and all I could see at night, of course, was was headlights. headlights and I I told him that, and he said, "Well, um, we want you to get back to uh, Selma. Don't stop for anybody." He said, "There's been a shooting and someone has been killed on the highway, and it's just absolutely critical that you get back to Selma as quickly as you can," which again. In terms of what we were anticipating, was an enormous turnaround in terms of the uh, obviously the 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 wide range of folks who were who were there and who uh, offered on the one hand exactly the kind of protection and advice that you would expect from a uh, a state cop. Right. So um, now we, I, I want to focus on that just for a second. I want you to imagine a scenario when a police officer says, get back to wherever you're going, get back to, you know, Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon, get back to wherever you're going, don't stop, there's been a shooting on the freeway and your life is at risk. You hear that and it's a relief because the alternative and, and, the, and the, the scenario that you're running through your head is, yeah. this guy's going to turn us over, this guy's going to, yeah. you know, do whatever. So the idea that, that there's been a shooting and your life is in danger is a relief it has got to be a crazy juxtaposition of, of it, it really was crazy. I mean, I, all at one point, all we were saying to each other was, well, at least the shooter was going in the other direction. So, you know, we really, we really were relieved. You know, uh, the last thing we wanted was... Um, somebody coming by in a car in the middle of the night, no yeah. anticipation of what they're going to do, and they shoot at you. Yeah. Now, did yeah. you after that? Were you nervous? Did you see headlights and stuff? Did it, did you guys or, or were you guys? We we were, we were nothing but nervous from um, from that point forward. You know, we had heard that sh- we finally heard when we got back to Selma it was Viola Liuta from Detroit, and she had been killed. 
And the only reason they solved that shooting, by the way, was because they had an FBI undercover agent in the car that was in, involved with the KKK in the, in the, in the actual shooting. Wow. So, so um, I've, I've had a number of visits from the FBI who, who've uh, <laughs> questioned me, and uh, it's the first time I heard anything good about the FBI. <laughs> they did something good. So you guys both marched into Montgomery, into the Capitol, right? Yep. And uh, I, I guess everybody did. Yeah. Then there were speeches and movements. Um, anything stick out from the actual finale of the actual event? Was there anybody you were happy to see? Any words you were happy to hear? And you can take your time because I can edit out silences and pauses. Yeah, Seriously. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I don't, Tony, remember anything about... Uh, I just remember about... I, I can remember being spit upon, as I told you, from whites that were, we were walking down the the highway and the streets and, and people were in their front porches and mm -hmm. they weren't going to aggressively attack us. That would have been dumb and stupid. They wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I remember being, you know, verbally uh, assaulted and, and being spit upon but once we got into it was there was a major relief that like we had accomplished our mission was to reach our our destination i i, I think of this as you know and king is speaking and i don't remember the words i, I remember sure. you know that the, the 1963 i have a dream speech that was earlier right and i remember being in the back of a church when i was growing up and hearing king in pasadena but I don't remember anything particularly about that day except that we had reached our destination. Of course, then shortly thereafter, Viola Laos is killed. And, and, and obviously, we reached that destination, got some voter voting reg legislation passed nationally. But we haven't reached anything. We're still, we're still marching. Right. We're, we're, we're still on the road. And that's, that, that's what I said earlier. This is a life cause. This isn't just, uh, you know, we're going to reach it. We've done it. Next cause, next next right. issue. We have not eradicated racism. It's the white supremacy is worse in our country now than it's been in many seasons. And uh, I've got the rest of my life to be a, a field laborer. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing noble about it. It's just my mission. Hmm. Uh, was your feeling relieved do you remember feeling okay let's get on the bus and go it's time to get home i want to get back to california i, I, I don't even you know I, I don't even remember the trip back we sang a lot i know one thing we did right was the day we started to fight keep your eyes on the, the prize hold on hold on i know one thing we did Damn. right was the day we started to fight not to fight for injury fight for impact uh, keep your eyes on the prize. What's the prize? It's, the prize is uh, inclusion and diversity and, uh, and uh, uh, a moral, multiracial democracy. That's the goal. That's the mission. That's the prize. And we were singing that. And, of course, we shall overcome. And But I remember getting back uh, back into the seminary, into my dorm, and those of us had gone, had our lives had been changed, and those that hadn't gone were, you know, we had to get back together to see who we were alongside one another. 
yeah. in seminary because we had just been in radically different <clears throat> universes for a week. Dad, any moments of the, the final as it was wrapping up? No, not really, because uh, for whatever reason, I was in the back of the uh, of the marchers. So I didn't even get onto the street where the uh, rally was uh, was being held. I could hear the loudspeaker, and I heard Dr. King. Um, but um, and I also we were surprised by how many people showed up at the end because mm -hmm. when we started out, there weren't that many marchers, and folks clearly joined in. So the street was crowded and i was uh maybe a quarter of a mile away oh, wow. from the actual stand so now, now uh during that time at a time you'd mentioned peter paul and mary pete seeger dick gregory dad you've mentioned joan baez like a thousand times uh, harry belafonte <laughs> was been over yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh harry belafonte yeah. yeah anybody anybody else that i mean those it's funny because i wonder how much of this transcends like my generation like i don't know if my kids they know who Harry Belafonte is because we played mm -hmm. a lot of the music. They probably have no idea who Pete Seeger is. They probably mm -hmm. know Dick Gregory. They know Peter, Paul, and Mary, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Uh, but it is interesting that, you know, that Joan Baez is still Bang crooning for justice. Yeah. I mean, uh, any if they're <laughs> still alive. Right. And Belafonte's still alive, isn't yes, he? Yes, she is. And he was a dear friend of the, of, the, of the Kings. He stayed in their home. In fact, he in many ways... He radicalized Martin um, around certain issues. And so here's Belafonte uh, having an impact on King and still having an impact, still a live voice in the world today, still on mission. You see, he didn't like, I've done this, now I want to do something else, I want to go sailing. Uh, nothing wrong with sailing and nothing <laughs> wrong with playing golf. What what I'm saying is that he his mission, he never ran from his mission of creating a different kind of America. That's the kind of people that Joan Baez and Harry Belafonte still are yes, in their are. 80s. And if they still are, yes, can't can a guy from Southern California, white, heterosexual, Anglo, middle class, male guy, uh, sign up and sign on? Good. Can you? I try and. Okay. I mean, and that's, and that's a valid question because a lot of times, like my daughter uh, was very involved in, in the, uh, right after the Floyd incident mm -hmm. and everything. And she, she was very active. She, she, she set up and helped coordinate. She borrowed some of my equipment so they could have loudspeakers and things like that. And she did a lot of stuff and she was very careful to keep it off of her social media. She wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, wasn't mm -hmm. like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right, right. She did get a snapped a couple pictures because you know we're pretty photogenic mm -hmm. so she, got, <laughs> she was captured she was on the ut and she was on one of the news right, things but a lot of people say oh you got all these 23 year old white girls walking what do they know why heck i'm you know and why can't you why can't someone have an, a strong opinion or a strong attachment to this cause why can't you attach yourself to this cause i mean obviously you have but. yeah well i, I want that's that's a very important point uh when we're underground, I mean, Tony, you're in a different generation, but Richard and I will soon be underground. Can we can we turn, look at what we've done, I mean, in terms of climate change, in terms of the the globe and the country. God, I, I, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Uh, we're still grinding, and there's some moments of hope and, and triumph, moral triumph. But can we turn it over to the newer generation? Yeah, to some of them we can. 
and your daughter we can. Uh, our granddaughter uh, went to South Korea to teach English as a second language as Trevor's sister. And uh, she um, she wrote us a letter. She said, hi, Graham and Grandpa, how are you doing? I'm, you know, how come it took me this long to wake up? Oh, dear. How long it took? And I said, I wrote her back and I said, look, just stay woke. Stay right. woke. Stay woke. Right. You're right. John Lewis was 18 when he was a freedom marcher, freedom yeah. writer. He was 18 and he's 80 when he died. And he kept paying dues all along the way. Two years. Corinne, keep paying your dues. Yes. Stay on mission. Stay awake. Stay respectful and just and joyful and loving. That's your mission in life. That's why you're here on earth. There need to be enough Karens, uh, I hope, but we won't know. We'll be gone. But I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful that uh, your, your daughter, Tony, and, it, you know, she's, it's not just a week. It's not just George Floyd. They, she was changed by that. She's altered. Her, her way of being in the world will be changed because of that. Corinne as well. There's others. As, I can turn it over. I can go now. And that's why the Black Lives Matter. I'll never forget when we went to the reunion. I'll just say this: when we were at the 50th reunion yep. there, and I heard um, passing in her name. She's was born in Nigeria, grew up in this country. She was one of the founders of uh, Black Lives Matter, and she was speaking. And after I heard her speak, I turned to my wife Carolyn with tears in my eyes, and I said, "We can go now. We can go now." Wow! Be because there. Hearing young people like that, young adults, who who have grasped why we're here on Earth, uh, I can turn it over to them. It's going to be a battle, because because race is the intractable original sin of this country. It will be a battle, and they won't solve it totally, but I can turn it over to those who are on the path. And, you know, one of the things that the racial conflict does for us is to remind us that democracy isn't something that ends. It isn't something that we institute, that we mm -hmm. write laws of and leave it to carry out uh, automatically what, what democracy is about. Democracy requires our being woke mm -hmm. all the time, mm -hmm. ready to stand up and yes. let people know what we think. I mean, we may disagree. We have every right to disagree. We should disagree. There's trouble in the in the future for us if we all agreed about everything. So, you know, there's uh, th there is a requirement that Black Lives Matter lives mm -hmm. on, that mm -hmm. those who are committed to standing up and walking the streets and reminding us that there is work to be done if we want to have a just society, we need to get on our feet and get to it. Yeah. Wow. it, it it's powerful. Here you got your father, Tony, <clears throat> and you're talking about your... Your daughter. You got three generations. No, just two. I don't. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. No, you kidding. wouldn't. You wouldn't have invited us in the room. You got three generations that are sta standing up, showing up, signing on as lifers, and that, that's heartening. That's very heartening. And um, so, um, yeah, it's it's we either sign up yep. and sign on f for all our days and nights. Or we just say, I, I've had my fill, and I, I that's not how I want to live my life. Fair. Now, you guys, that would be the perfect ending. You guys kind of got out of sequence. 
But instead of an ending, we're going to take another commercial break. And then we're going to come <laughs> back and talk about life after Selma through today. Just kind of uh, things that you've noticed, things that you've done, things that you want to do that you haven't quite done yet. But in the meantime, we're going to hear from Retro Sports. Hey, sports fans, what do Billie Eilish, Travis Scott, and me have in common? Jacob Oberon Retro Sports has done our gear. That's right, he's done gear for bands, teams, sports, schools. You have a need, he can fill it, I promise. They do embroidery, screen printing, tackle twill, heat press, and if you have an organization, they will build you a spirit website. You can do it for your school or your team, whatever you have going on. He posts it all, they order it, he makes it, and you get money. You share in the profits. It's free. Check it out. They'll do your letterman's jacket, fitness equipment, whatever you need. And when you go in there, make sure you tell them that Tony on the mic sent you in. To Jacob Ober, great in the community. Outstanding product and service. Check out Retro Sports, retrosports.net, and 9100 Fletcher Parkway in La Mesa. Uh, we are back again with the God Squad, Reverends. Tom Owen and Richard Lawrence. They marched originally 50 years ago, got the call from Martin Luther King, John Lewis, etc., and marched across from Selma to Montgomery to champion voting rights for African Americans, which at the time were just blacks. They weren't uh, African Americans yet, but that was a step up from colored. So every step's mm -hmm. a step. Uh, now I want to just find out kind of what you guys have done, want to do. What? Uh, how did? How did Selma impact? your commitments your your deeds things like that since uh i mean we're going to try and sum up 50 years in about 15 minutes mm -hmm. so pick and choose the highlights <laughs> and uh, anything you want to touch across what, what do you what do you got what have you been up to and what do you what do you have you been trying to help the movement well i've fallen short uh you know um but i've tried to stay persistent and on course uh, I'll never forget just an example. As, as a minister, about 30 years ago, we uh, started doing anti-racism work in our congregation, a primarily a white congregation. Uh, and one of our early mistakes was uh, calling our, our task force the Beyond Racism Task Force, mm -hmm. as if we were going to go beyond it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that was a, a flaw. <laughs> but we've stayed on course. We've changed the name to Journey Toward Wholeness. Okay. We've, uh, you know, it's a journey. We're, it's toward wholeness, towards being a whole country, towards being a multiracial democracy, towards being whole human beings. Uh, it's interesting. When I went back to the 50th reunion with my wife, Carolyn, really it was, it was a deeply moving, emotional highlight. I was in tears most of the time for the several days. But one of the things that stood out was on a table they had uh, a batch of uh, badges uh, that, that those who had marched could mm -hmm. wear, and it said Civil Rights Veteran on it. <laughs> I, my, my dad didn't go to any war. My brother didn't go to any war. Right. I didn't go to any war. Right. I counsel conscientious objectors. <laughs> uh, uh, but here I was, and I have Wearing it in my veteran. office at home, and it'll be on my memorabilia table when I die. Civil rights veteran, uh, semper fidelis, what the Marine phrase, always faithful, and that—that's kind of been my goal. That—that I'm—I'm flawed. I fall short, but I get back up again and try to be always faithful to trying to do my a small job in creating a multiracial democracy. 
and to be, to be color sensitive, not color blind. Oh, actually, that's, color, color sensitive, question, not color blind. Next, that was my next question. Oh, really? Do you, okay. Do you believe in no? no do no, you yeah. believe in the color blind? Like a lot of people no, say, no. I don't see color. No, which that, is, that's which is BS. Impossible. That's yeah. BS. Uh, that's cultivated. That's sweet BS. Uh, the, the fact is, color matters. Color has mattered in this country. Uh, as I said before, racism has been. You know, first we're not even talking about the genocide of the Native Americans. How we got started, sadly, has never really been reckoned with. We're starting to reckon with it now, with critical race theory and some other things. We're starting to reckon with our our intractable original sinfulness, uh, and we're making some headway. We're making some roads, uh, but there are setbacks every day. There are setbacks every day, and we have to show up and be sentinels on duty, semper fidelis, always faithful and be color sensitive not color blind and that's why black lives matter uh, all lives matter of course but the black lives have been have suffered the most in this particular country suffered the most continue to suffer the most and we as a, as a white heterosexual anglo middle class man a member of the wham group wham w-h-a-m-m -M. as a member of the wham group i gotta stand on my hind legs and stay i say I want a multiracial democracy. I want a world that we don't have now. And Semper Fidelis, I'll show up the rest of my life. I guess my, my goal in an ideal situation is that we all see color, but we don't pre-attach a judgment or, you know, things like that. We don't attach anything to it, you know, that, that you're able to, to acknowledge a different color, a different heritage, a different, you know, background and hopefully be interested in it. Dad, it's been 50 plus years since Selma. What have you been involved with? What are some of the highlights? How did Selma impact you? I know you were you were involved in the movement before Selma. Mm -hmm. So you were you were already... Um, now, was Selma before or after the bank protests? Selma was before. Before, okay. Yeah. After Selma, um, I was uh, really discovered by the Cummins Engine Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they hired me to be a program officer in Chicago, and they afforded me a discretionary account of $25,000. Yeah. And they set aside 50% uh, of pre-tax profit for uh, a minority community development program. Nice. They hired five black activists as program officers, which at the time virtually doubled the number of mm. black program officers in foundations in the country. Wow, not just at Cummins, but everywhere. No, across the country. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, so that one of the things that um, we were able to do as black program officers was to encourage increasing at least reflection about are there special things that as a black professional I have a responsibility for so that as a black foundation officer uh, we were really encouraged to find those black organizations that would not necessarily qualify for funding from other major foundations that we could then put a small 
foundation grant into, but could then contact other foundations on their behalf and say, we are really supporting this organization with a grant and we're hoping you will do likewise. And we did a lot of that. And we also formed an organization called the Association of Black Foundation Executives, which was designed to, one, um, increase the number of blacks in philanthropy at all levels, including uh, trustees on foundation boards, as well as in executive positions and program officers. And one of the early days of the uh, association was the... Um, really coordinating a black caucus, which um, really scared the white professionals Mm -hmm. in black, in in philanthropy, that we were going to sit down as blacks and they weren't invited. Um, It was uh, just, it was terrifying to them. Why would you do that? We're friends. Why would you keep us out of this meeting? Well, nobody said they couldn't come in. It's just that they, when they said, we said we had a black caucus, they drew the conclusion they weren't invited, and basically they were right. Because we wanted to spend energy among ourselves, finding out what in the world we could do that really addressed the issues that the black communities across the country faced. It was an absolutely great job. Hmm. And... um, it was an originally designed for three years, which was ridiculous. Um, expended, extended another three, so I worked there six years. After that, um, I did a number of uh, what the Methodist Church would call special appointments. I went to work for the Economic Development Officer in, in Massachusetts, to run a youth entrepreneurial development project. I then went on from there to start a community foundation in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and run an organization called the uh, Minority Business Council, which were uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican business people, which was the man- majority minority populations <laughs> in in Lawrence, and still are, and. Um, I um, have since then really f- focused on a couple of large issues. The, the the climate emergency that we're currently facing, there's an organization in San Diego called Jubilee Economic Ministries that I spend a lot of time working with. And what's and their mission? We're trying to figure out ways that we can both educate and activate commitments from folks to take the current energy crisis, I mean, the uh, environmental crisis seriously, Um, that there is a limited number of time before we have the planet in a condition that it is no longer livable, it no longer will support support us. And folks simply sort of like those who won't get their shots for COVID, mm-hmm. it just are denying that this is fact, this is scientific garbage as far as they're concerned, and so they dismiss it. So there's a, an amazing amount of work to be done there. And uh, Jubilee, say it again? Jubilee Economic Ministries, GEM for short. GEM, J-E-M. J-E-M, yeah. Is there a website, you know? 
They do, yes. And I don't know the the yeah. call letters, but just put in gem and it'll come up for you. J-E-M will come J-E-M up. J-E-M will come up, yeah. I see trees of green, red roses too. Not as easy as I had hoped to find. I actually deleted a section that we had recorded while I was searching for it and did a lot of discussion about the particular website and it turned out to be the wrong website. If you want to find the right website, just look up One Earth Jubilee, oneearthjubilee.com and that will take you to the correct website. Yeah, we have a a pledge form or covenant um, with specific actions that you can take in a variety of uh, areas, from banking to the support for co-ops and uh, uh, worker-owned businesses and so forth and so on. So you, you get a chance to take a look at some things that you could do that would really would make a difference so far as the quality of the planet's future is concerned. Well, you're not doing a great job promoting it because your oldest son didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so I'm going to check it out, and I'm going to make some sort of covenant, and I'm going to commit, and I'm going to try and do something better. I think everybody needs to take as many baby steps as they can and 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 uh, and more. You know, I mean, everybody can take the baby steps. Everybody can recycle. Everybody can reduce. Everyone can do different things, uh, and they can take some big steps too. And some people have to sacrifice, and some people have to, and some some companies have to sacrifice. And, and at some point, we all have to acknowledge that all the money in the world isn't going to buy back the planet. You know, that's exactly right. And it's a tough thing to get people to take sacrifice seriously even when it isn't really a sacrifice that is there's a income level that you could live at that is far less than the one you're living at now and you could then obviously invest the rest in socially responsible investments of one sort or another okay well uh this is the selma broadcast so we'll get to some of that go So the, uh, the other thing was uh, about 20 years here in uh, San Diego working on affordable housing. Try to create a community land trust here in San Diego so that the community would own land that they would then lease to homeowners, not sell, so that the community gr- would grow and grow and grow a larger uh, ownership of land that then would reduce the cost of, of housing so that the folks could who were just earning a typical salary in this town could afford to be a homeowner. Um, those issues were and are continuing, and I just continue to poke away at them. Um, affordable housing in San Diego has um, been yeah, an enormously, <laughs> enormously important and people keep talking about it, but nobody wants to make the sacrifice that's required right. Right. to really make a change in that situation. And it is, it's humbling. And I hope that generationally people hear uh, voices of people like you guys who've been doing this for 50 years, you know, people have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. And I don't even want to say not getting tired, but getting tired, but persevering getting worn down and keeping going and finding new life and new spark and new energy to keep going and keep like you said earlier being woke all the time and and things like woke ha- has become a negative connotation yeah. for some people yeah. and, and i'll be the first one to say 
there are some people who are too woke and That's I true. and and what I mean by that is the way that they convey messages yep. is not bringing people together it's no. not bringing more people under the tent it's alienating people and making people feel feel bad and I think you know we all think we're just the right degree of woke <laughs> especially me I'm perfectly woke and not too woke <laughs> but woke enough and but everybody needs to wake up a little bit and and make sure we keep going that forward so so with great you know examples and leaders and lifelong lifelong role models it's great next generation's coming up what are you and actually i'm the next generation but the generation behind me what what uh what do you would you guys tell them is important words of encouragement words of motivation what would you say they should and can be doing and saying well it just comes to my mind the uh, quote from alice walker uh african-american author it says service is a rent we pay for the privilege of being here on earth. And I just uh, encourage the the younger, the newer generations coming on after uh, Richard and myself to never forget that we're here to serve, uh, that we're here to serve the planet, here to serve other people. Another thing that comes to my mind, another quote is Mother Teresa was asked uh, why she spends, uh, spent her life uh, in the poorest sections of Calcutta serving the the, the the least of the of the of humanity and she said well it's my duty and she said uh, no that's not quite it it's my joy hmm. uh, that's not quite it hmm. my duty is my joy and my joy is my duty wow so i just want to i want to invite the generations after richard and i are gone to marry joy and duty in your life not just duty or obligation, not just joy or happiness. Marry duty and joy, and you'll have a fulfilling and fulfilled life. Hmm. You top that, Dad? You have some quotes off the top of your head? Oh, I'm terrible with quotes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do think that one of the things that uh, I hope folks will remember that I think is the heritage that we've uh, adapted from the freedom movements that we've lived through both uh, uh, racial and uh, gender and mm -hmm. uh, g gender identification you know there, there are three critical words as far as I'm concerned that Dr. King called to my attention that should escape uh, the attention of no one and we need to pay attention to love, to power. That will never escape, you said. And <laughs> I said that uh, justice. Um, you know, there are those. No, those are three words that Dr. King has really helped put mm -hmm. at the forefront of what it means to be a responsible human being and I want to be sure that you look at power mm -hmm. because we think about love and talk about love a lot and we think about justice and we talk about justice a lot but the thing that's going to get us there is the power is the ability to get things done with folks who may not know and may not care and you, we have the job to figure out how to 
help them know and to help them care and to effectively speaking save the world you know it's it's funny because i i'm notoriously enthusiastic <laughs> and 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 i just believe it and i believe that being being good being just being fair mm -hmm. being loving being supportive is so rewarding in itself and it and it just builds on itself and if you, if you can build up other people and then they can build up other people and then maybe when you're not quite at your 100% somebody who you built up can help build you back up and doing good things and doing the right thing and serving and and acting outside of your own best interest sometimes in the best interest of others or society is so awesome it's so awesome so that would be my my advice is you know do good and you'll be happy you know and and there's always saying would you rather be rich or would you rather be happy and then the people who don't understand that the only answer to that question is happy because if you're happy what else what else really matters if you're content if your soul is full if your heart is full if if you have a billion dollars or you have three dollars, what difference does it make? If if you're doing good and raising people up and and doing the right thing, well, I don't want to hijack your show with my own, but I could have been a preacher too. Just so there you, guys you go, there you go. Go ahead <laughs> for it. Go for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm gonna give me. A we're soap we're box. in good company with you, Tony. <laughs> I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get on a soapbox. Yeah, brothers and sisters, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we believe you. Do some good. All right, yeah, preach, absolutely. Um, that's all I got. I really, really appreciate you. The people out there don't know we went through a couple technical difficulties and you guys were champs uh, being patient as we got it worked out and the, the show carried on it's going to sound seamless when it comes out yeah. on the podcast I should be releasing it next week sometimes and make sure you can find it I will send out links and promote it and you guys can share it with your friends uh, with that being said any final words any any uh, goodbyes you want to say to the crowd anybody you want to shout out to sisters brothers I just, I'm just honored to be here with you, uh, Tony and Richard. I really am. And uh, I'm hopeful. We shall prevail. Justice and joy and love empowered shall prevail. I wow. believe that. I bank my life on it. Wow. Uh, amen. And um, unless you think it's uh, all very serious around here, it's on the 18th, I'll be sitting at a table representing Jubilee Economic Ministries at the Church of the Brethren um, at a kale festival. Oh, my goodness. Now, um, kale I, the vegetable? I, 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 <laughs> I, I understand that it's a vegetable, and there's some folks who really almost worship it, thinking that it will do miracles for us. But in any case, whatever there is to know about kale, you're going <laughs> to find that out uh, if you come by. And I'd welcome a chance to uh, to meet you and encourage you and hope to keep you moving. I'm going to uh, add a calendar section to Tony. com is where you can find this stuff. And then, as those of you who listen know, because you found it, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm going to put a calendar section on so we can have some events like that when, when guests have things going on. Uh, I have a couple athletes with some football games coming up. We'll put that mm -hmm. on there. And mm -hmm. I have, uh, you know, some. I want to do some follow-up with some. I have a couple cancer people I've talked to who are all doing great. I want to talk to them again. And events that hopefully 
you know, we can spread the word. We can start getting people out there and get people to come. That'd be that'd be awesome. But TonyOnTheMic.com. TonyOnTheMic.com. You can find all your podcasts and entertainment. And it's growing. TonyOnTheMic.com on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. I haven't, I haven't done TikToks yet, but I'm on the TikTok. And we're going to put that up there. We'll put these <laughs> events on the calendar. And hopefully you can come in and learn about kale and, uh, <laughs> and, and social justice. Uh, not sure how this all ties together, but uh, it's going to be. A, I, I can't even sell a kale festival. I, it's hard for me to try and make it. And I can sell anything. But uh, come here about kale. All right. That being said, we're going to sign off here. You want to say goodnight to the folks then? Good night, everybody. We'll hope to see you. And I'm going to really give you a nice big bowl of kale when you come on by. I'm not sure that's selling it. Tom, you want to say goodbye to the folks? Yeah, <laughs> Okay, Richard, I know one thing we did right was the day we started to fight. Keep, Keep your, your eyes eye on the prize. Stay on. on. Nice. That'd be a nice fit off. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 And that's going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my sponsors. And you can find more info and episodes at TonyOnTheMic.com. Tony on the Mic on Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. All these platforms are slowly becoming populated with quality entertainment products. So check it out. And tell your friends and click and like and subscribe and all that stuff. 